We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today with the 2022 NFL Draft Edition of our podcast. I'm joined by my main man and fellow Falcon sufferer, Scott the Stat Assassin. Scott, tell people what's up. We really don't have to do this to ourselves. You know that, right? I know. Um, people like Russ Mills were texting me going ballistic, announcing the franchise, talking about crossing over to cheer for teams like the Packers and Eagles. <laughs> and to be honest, I think you and I both understand how they feel. So we're here to answer the question today. Did the Falcons blow the 2022 draft? <sighs> and there's a lot to unpack here. Um, if you're new to the show, please subscribe and share on your podcasting platform. You can follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and you can email us titlerunsports at gmail.com. So Scott, we can't bear the lead here. We got to start by talking about the program, our alma mater, who absolutely dominated the draft in a way no program has ever dominated a draft in the modern seven round draft era. You know, at one point I think the draft was like, what, like 16 or 18 rounds, like way back, like in the seventies or something like that. But since like the modern era shortened it to seven, no team has ever had 15 players selected in one single draft five from one side of the ball, the defense in the first round and not necessarily the five we thought. So yeah, pr- probably would have been six in the first round if it wasn't for some questionably sourced injury uh, reports, right, surrounding Nicobe Dean. Not really sure how accurate or inaccurate that stuff was with without that last-minute stuff. That's six first-rounders, right? Yeah, and um, if you count Jermaine Johnson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get a half for Jermaine Johnson. Yeah. So yeah, Nicobe going in the first would have been six, which would wow. have tied the all-time record of first-round picks. I think Alabama has that with six. The The previous record for total picks in the, you know, the seven-round draft was LSU 2019, and I think 2004 Ohio State, early 2000s yeah. Ohio State had a year where they both had 14. So obviously uh, 15. Thanks in big part to Jake Camarda and his uh, four, five, six, forty at the punter position. That's what put him over the top right there. He was taken in the fourth round. Yeah, that's wild. That's stupid. Like, and no, like, like I don't mean like stupid, like good. I mean like no, like the team that did that, like you're stupid. And like I love Jake Camarda. He was not the best punter in football. Matt Ariza is like the demigod of punters, and he didn't get taken first. This is yeah, absurd. That- yeah, pretty wild. I mean, Kamara uh, was an outstanding punter and deserved He's really to get good. drafted. Yeah, which is saying a lot for a, a lot, punter. Yeah, right. But <clears throat> yeah, a very big day for for Georgia in the draft. Fifteen draft picks at the all time record. Um, just in case anybody was curious, no, Kirby cannot uh, develop. That's definitely not the case. Um, the, the 2018 draft class or the recruiting class that finished number one in the recruiting rankings, I think there were eight guys in that class that based on their recruiting rankings did not have a, a ranking that was considered, you know, a draftable prospect. Mm-hmm. Of those, at least four of those eight guys have already been drafted. Multiple of those guys have been drafted in the first round. You'll probably have another one or two of those guys get drafted next year. Yeah. So uh, of the... Guys that are being brought in, the, the recruiting people say this guy's not an NFL player. 
that class at least is going to be 75% of those not NFL guys are getting drafted. That's pretty good. Yeah, like Lewis Singh comes in as a guy with the pedigree to be a first, second round pick. N'Kobe Dean's a five-star coming in. Those guys are supposed to go early, and we obviously will talk in a second about N'Kobe Dean and his slide a little bit more. Jordan Davis is a three-star who was overweight mm-hmm. and liked basketball more than football. And he, he didn't start playing football until junior, sophomore or junior year. Yeah, yeah something like that. He's not supposed to be a first-round pick. He was a guy that, as a sophomore, was not even getting playing time for us, and as a junior, looks like a monster, makes the completely correct decision to come back for his senior year and gets all the hype. He was essentially the face of our defense, even though he was probably was not our best player. Um, and so, like like you said, this is a coverage recruits. No, he develops also. When a guy like Christopher Smith gets drafted next year, playing a different position than what he got uh, – playing a different position than what he left high school as, and he's going to be like a fifth-round safety taken next year, that's development. I mean, mm-hmm. it is. So uh, Devontae Wyatt wasn't considered a, you know, a pro prospect yeah, mm-hmm. out of high school, also first-round pick. Yeah. So, so And like we said, most of these guys that were drafted were guys that were really highly recruited, yeah. and you expected them to be in the NFL. A, a big part of development is making sure your guys that are supposed to be in the NFL – actually end up in the NFL because that's a, yeah, that's a huge part of it. There's a lot of talented guys out there that can get, you know, outworked by less talented guys or can just, you know, become interested in other things outside of football. Right. Brenton Cox was a Mm five-star in that class we're talking Mm -hmm. about as athletically talented as a lot of these guys that went in the first round, he's still in school and he's hoping to have a, better year and increase his draft stock because he you know has not developed and obviously development also can be on the player too not just the yeah the coach in the program and to, to to make your point before we, we don't want to spend too much time on this but to make your point though lsu had 10 players drafted up a six and 17 how many guys did penn state have drafted because they also had a really large number of guys drafted i think for not a great season yeah and, and the point here is that you had 10 NFL players on a six and seven team. That's a large reason why Ed Orgeron no longer has a job. Oh yeah. Because your talent was there. Now I know you had a lot of injuries, but you had 10 NFL players in your roster from this year and you were six and seven. There's no excuse for that. And that's a large part of why he doesn't have a job. So that stuff doesn't matter. And I think just address a few surprises, definitely a surprise to see Quay Walker go in the first round. I don't know that anybody had that projected anywhere that I saw. So there was actually some talk about that. Uh, in the week or two leading up to the draft okay, was that there were, you know, a lot of the conversation was always who's the top guy on people's boards at linebacker. Is it N'Kobe Dean or is it Devin Lloyd from Utah? And there were a number of times where people would answer that question by saying, actually, I talked to a few teams that have Quay Walker as their number one linebacker. That's crazy to me. So it was out there. I don't think it was a majority of teams. I think Mm -hmm. most teams had Lloyd or Dean as their top guy. But the teams that I heard people talk about, it was Green Bay and one or two other teams. They were all teams that were kind of in the last third of the first round. So they were all teams where it could actually happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like if the Jaguars had Quay Walker as their number one linebacker, that doesn't yeah, they mean – Yeah, they're going to take him in the first round. That means he might go early second. So then that's just how the draft is, right? Sometimes it's a lot about how the draft breaks – for you or, or not for you. Um, we, we talked about that when we did our, our mock draft, right? 
Yes, and worked beautifully for us, and it yeah. did not break well for the Falcons, which we'll get to nope. in just a second. Um, and so looking at this, Nicobe Dean played 600 snaps this past year, which is actually more than I thought because he did spend a lot of time with Channing Tindall. So I was thinking he played more like in the 400 snap range, but 600 snaps is that's a lot of snaps. I mean, it's 40 snaps a game, so he's playing the majority of the defensive reps. I did not realize his snap count was that high, 611. So wait, did I say Nicobe Dean? I meant Quay Walker. I was about to say that, you know, he's being evaluated in a limited amount of film, but no, that's actually a pretty good sample size, 600 snaps. So um, mm-hmm. obviously the biggest surprise here, and there was really only one surprise. The majority of Georgia's players went around where they were slotted. I mean, it was it was very much on brand, with the exception, obviously, of the Nicobe Dean slipping to number 83 in the third round. And I had a couple guys texting me, Russ, if you're listening to this, just losing their minds. Like, how is this happening? And I said this at the time. I said, it's the third round. The entire NFL has passed on him twice. Something is up. Something's up. You don't pass on a guy that's got a top 20 grade unanimously twice. Everybody in the NFL is passing on him twice unless something's up. And, of course, it's something being conflicting medical reports about the status of his shoulder and peck. And then there were some rumors that he had a knee issue also. So I don't know how much that's true. I don't know what you heard also, but. He apparently had – it was multiple medical issues that there was concern about, and Kobe obviously came and blew that up uh, in his press conference yesterday and was not happy about it. Yeah, occasionally guys will slide a little bit because the NFL sort of collectively overthinks things mm-hmm. or, yeah. or because you get a run on a different position or the relative strengths of the draft or the needs of who's picking, all those things, right? That's how a guy slips from 20 – to like 40. Yeah, I agree with that. When he's slipping from 20 to 80, it's like you said, you're like, okay, something's so, going something's on. Up. And it was, yeah, there's whatever rumors about injury issues and that kind of stuff. So, well, he's going to be good in Philly, I imagine. And he's probably going to make some people pay. So he's going to Philly, where he's going to be behind Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox. He will not have an offensive lineman touch him for the next two years. And he will make 100 tackles as a rookie, assuming he's healthy. Like, it's ridiculous. Like people are going to immediately regret this pick because he's going to a perfect situation. He is going to be completely clean, run sideline to sideline and tackle everything. Yeah. People are going to start making their short list for, you know, like defensive rookie of the year. And he's going to be the top of the list, like starting tomorrow. Right. Oh, third round pick, but he's the favorite to win this war. Like I I would, I'm actually interested in, we need to check this, the betting odds on the Vegas betting odds on defense rookie of the year, because like you said, I can tell you the answer for offensive rookie of the year. Don't tell me it's Drake London. Surely not. It's Drake London. No. Absolutely. Well, well David, who was the first offensive player picked in the draft? Drake London. And there you go. who else is the ball going to get thrown to in the Falcons? <laughs> yeah, Kyle Pitts or Drake London. London. That's it. So I guess it makes a great segue into the Falcons draft. Um, discussing each pick briefly. The draft fell absolutely horribly for the Falcons for the first seven picks. I think for most fans, not all, most fans are hoping that the Falcons would take a pick on the line of scrimmage, either preferably an edge rusher. So I think the dream scenario for most pick, for most fans, not all, but you're hoping a Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Trayvon Walker is available there. Or some people even said, you know, take a Jermaine Johnson there at eight. Um, as it fell, the three best edge rushers, far and away the three best, gone. The, <laughs> the, the two best tackles, gone. So... And the, and the two best cornerbacks. And the two best cornerbacks. So gone. And so, you know, really, it, in no specific order, but you kind of have, you know, five positions that are considered more valuable yeah. and get drafted 
Quarterback's out. Um, higher, right. Quarterback is one. Okay, there's no quarterbacks worth spending mm-hmm. a top 10 pick on this year, right? So then you're hoping that those other four positions, pass rusher, cornerback, tackle, and wide receiver, um, and wide receiver, you're hoping at eight to get an elite player at one of those mm-hmm. positions. Well, this year you had a lot of good wide receivers, maybe not any elite mm-hmm. wide receivers. Not as prospects. But you had, yeah, not as prospects. You had two elite tackle prospects, two elite corner prospects, and three edge elite rushes. edge prospects. So you're hoping that of those seven guys, one of those seven makes it to you at eight, and that did not happen. And you and I are texting back and forth, and as soon as Carolina takes a tackle at six instead of a quarterback, which you're just hoping, come on, take a quarterback, take a quarterback. As soon as they took mm-hmm. a tackle at six, I think it was Ike, was it Ike and Iquanu? Ike and Iquanu? Yeah. Then, well, and, and when the Giants took Thibodeau at five, five yeah. because then you know they're just going to say, oh, whichever tackle's there at seven. Right, so you knew the Giants were going to take a tackle at seven because they took their edge rusher at five, which is one of the things everybody predicted. They're going to go edge rusher and tackle. So they take Thibodeau, which is very easy to predict. Then the Panthers are the wild card. They take Ike and and then it's like, shoot, the – Mm-hmm. The, the the Giants are going to come back and take Evan Neal, and we're going to be stuck having to take the best receiver on the board. And I and I get this: taking the best receiver on the board in most years is great, and it is a glaring hole on the Falcons, the worst receiving core on paper in the NFL, and it's not close. It's not close. But with the depth of this draft, you could have made the trade up that you made to get to thirty eight and take Arnold Ebiketti to get George Pickens, and mm-hmm. taken you would have hoped. Trayvon Walker here or something like that. Didn't work out that way. As it was, the Falcons took the best player available at a position need. And yeah, does it make sense? Yes. Do I like it? Not really. But I can't kill the pick because what else do you do? Do you take Kyle Hamilton here, a safety who's probably good enough to go there, but not a premium position? I mean, as you said, Tyler Lindebaum is probably the best center prospect to come out in the last 20 years, the highest one, highest one that PFF has ever graded. But is there any value right. there at eight? And you just took a center in each of the last two drafts. I mean, like, that's not an immediate need, even though he's the best player. I... Yeah, the, the remaining guys that were, at least in some circles, considered really elite at their position, right? Linderbaum at center, um, Hamilton at safety, Jordan Davis yeah. as a, a nose right. tackle. Those are guys that if you drop, if you draft them at eight, people are going to kill you for reaching. Mm-hmm. It was just at the point where basically, because of how things fell, draft picks eight through 14 were pretty much equally mm-hmm. valuable. It just was random chance. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that the Falcons had go their way on that is having the first pick of wide receiver means they got to pick the wide receiver that fits their system the best. So I'm not sure if Drake London is mm-hmm. the best wide receiver prospect. Him, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams. I don't know. You kind of toss them all up. They're not that different overall as far as how good they are as prospects. They're all very different. Drake London is the guy that fits the way Arthur Smith wants to run his offense. They only had monstrously mm-hmm. huge wide receivers in Tennessee. He wants only monstrously huge wide receivers in Atlanta. Drake London, the best comp I've got for Drake London is maybe Mike Evans. Yeah, and we've discussed this. Like That's one that I didn't love as much because I think Mike Evans is a little bit twitchier. And London didn't run the 40-yard dash. By the way, just giving you his specs, just because we're assuming everybody knows who Drake London is. 
measured just under six foot four. So six foot three and seven, eight. So he's six, four, two nineteen, which is up. And this is his stats. And y'all keep in mind, these stats are through eight games, 88 catches, 1,084 yards, seven touchdowns and 91.3 pro football focus grade, 12.3 yards per catch. And folks, if you haven't watched his YouTube highlights by now, go watch them. It's three minutes of pure insanity. I mean, Scott, you disagree with that. No, no, he's, I mean, extremely productive, right? He definitely, the, the part about him and Mike Evans that are similar is just the general size and, contested catches. and the way that they look like basketball yeah. players out there making contested catches, which, oh, by the way, he was a basketball player at USC. Right. There's pictures of, you know, him and uh, Okongwu sitting there, you know, wearing the same jersey at the same time. So that shows up like when that ball's in the air, it's his. Mm-hmm. I-, I think you're right. He's not quite as, you know, fast, quite as twitchy as Mike Evans. Mike Evans is a low four five yeah. guy in the 40. I think Drake London is a six four guy. six yeah, guy, probably, if I'm guessing. The concern there, like you have said is the top end speed is it good enough i think if i had to put my life on the line it's probably good enough because teams are respecting the deep ball with him mostly due to his size and contested catchability not so much to his speed similar that's how it's similar to mike evans right people have to respect respect the deep ball with mike evans not because he's faster than their cornerbacks because he's not faster than any cornerbacks that come up but they have to respect the deep ball because of the, the size and the jump ball ability. So you have some of that going as well. Yeah. And he was not a great route runner, but also he consistently got mm, pretty open. I think his quickness is better than his speed. So that bodes pretty well. If, if he's a guy that can clean up some of the underneath route running, then all of a sudden you have a guy that consistently is getting open underneath, catches the ball really well. And is a, deep threat contested catch guy and yeah that that's a number eight pick so it's it, it wasn't perfect value because of things mm-hmm. outside of control of the falcons but it's a pretty reasonable pick I and think. one that we didn't mention is london is actually really good after the catch like he makes a lot of missed tackles um i forgot where he ranked he had i think he forced i can't remember the number i don't know how to make it up but look at yeah he, he's a big physical dude after yeah the catch. and when Mike Evans came out, I remember the thing I remember about him in college was that he was very tight hip. So like his route running, he had trouble sinking to get in and out of his breaks. He had tight hips. He didn't look very fluid. And yet somehow he always managed to get open. So which told you that he had good lateral quickness despite the fact that he wasn't as fluid doing it as small receivers. Like he wasn't a Calvin Ridley. With Drake London, the hope is that he may not be in Mike Evans. He just can't be Nikhil Harry, who is a guy yeah. that got no separation people said, well, and the pros will be able to make the contested catches. Every time we say that about somebody, they never end up being as good as we hope. I mean, that was the big thing for Mike Williams coming out of Clemson. Now, he could probably get a little bit more separation than Nikhil Harry, and he's had a solid career, but he's never reached the heights of being, what, the number seven pick? I mean, I actually thought the Mike Williams comp might be a little bit better comp where he's a guy that's good, and but um, he's not quite Mike Evans level. And the other thing is that he, I think – London's better to catch. Either way, comps aside, we're comping him to guys that are productive NFL receivers. And that's the point. We're not comping him to guys that are bombs. He's not going to be Mike Williams from USC previously, who was a contested catch guy that never turned into anything because he couldn't keep his weight down. Right. And and for those that haven't paid attention to Mike Williams of late, or especially people that maybe 
picked him his rookie year in their fantasy football league. Yeah, he had a slow start to his career, barely played his first mm-hmm. year, didn't start much his second year, and then, you know, has got about 3,000 yards in the last yeah. two seasons. He's not like, you know, first team all pro or anything like that, but he is a really good receiver. Yeah, and just so you know, and I know we're spending a lot of time drinking here, he's not a guy that's going to run 10 go routes a game. That's not what he does. I mean, he does some of that. In this offense, he's going to catch a whole bunch of slants and then eventually get some deep throws on the sideline. Like, that's what he's going to do. And he's going to be able to catch a slant, break a tackle. Like, he's not Julio Jones yeah. with the ball in his hands, but he is a load to tackle. And um, Well, I think if people want to see how they will use him, uh, go watch Titans film from two years ago, right? Yeah. Is he Corey Davis or is he A.J. Brown? He's probably Corey Davis and probably Kyle Pitts is A.J. Brown. Those are your two big outside targets. Moving on. All right, so Drake Lennon picked that it's – I'll just be honest, Falcons fans, a lot of us don't like this pick now. We'll forget that we didn't like it a year from now. Just like we didn't like the Kyle Pitts pick, and he was fantastic. In a year from now, we said this We said this a year ago. This is not good value, but the player is really good. And eventually you forget about mm-hmm. the value, but the player is good enough. So Kyle Pitts was as good as advertised. Moving along. Um, second pick, number 30 – second round, pick number 38 overall. This is one that you and I have talked about, Scott. He was one of the few – edges in that second group, that second tier that we really liked that might be there. We talked about Boye Mafe and this guy right here, Arnold Ebiketti, who, when I went and did a breakdown of his stats and stuff, was an even better prospect than I realized. Um, he's typically, he's probably a best fit as a 4-3 defensive end or 3-4 outside linebacker. I imagine he will spend most of his time playing outside linebacker for us, but outside linebacker from a wide nine, <laughs> not off the ball. He ran a 4.66 at 250 pounds. He's got 34-inch arms at 6.2 and a half, which is pretty pretty elite reach. He's not super heavy. He's a little light in the dumper, but he plays with a lot of power. And every scouting report that I read on him and everything I saw on him said he plays bigger than his frame. In his stats from last yeah. year, 62 tackles, 18 TFLs, which is a very, very good number, nine and a half sacks. Listen to this, 52 pressures in the 88.4 PFF grade. What were your thoughts on him, Scott? You liked him too. Yeah. You mentioned he's 6'2 and just a little uh, change after that. But like you said, he has really long arms. And that's actually a really nice combination because while he's, quote, like you said, only 250, Mm -hmm. he plays really powerful Mm -hmm. because he's actually pretty compact, but he also has really long arms, so he can kind of play long. So that's a great combination for these edge guys where you want them to be stout against the run and long for the pass rush. And so that's just, I mean, he didn't do that. That's just the natural size and shape he is, but it works really well. And he plays pretty fast. Mm-hmm, he does it, definitely as fast as his times. Yeah, he does. It shows up. Um, and he plays pretty, he's pretty aggressive. I mean, you know, it's like the standard aggressive, violent hands. But he but does. Like, he has actually, he has actual intentional handwork, which is not, what you see in yeah. college a lot of times. So he's a guy that I would just expect to be a significant contributor as a rookie. Yeah. Is he going to start? Probably I don't know. Not full time. But, right. But I would be surprised if he didn't play. And I would be surprised if he wasn't, you know, at least coming close to splitting snaps mm-hmm. by the end of the season, that kind of thing. So he's a guy that is, you know, yeah, looks like a real NFL player. And, you know, People may not have watched a lot of Penn State. Mentioned they had an 
eight or 10 draft picks, despite only, you know, having just an okay season. He's really good. It came from Temple before mm-hmm. that, right? Yep. And he transferred over from Temple. Temple. Yeah. And so um, the projection we put here was, and if, if you haven't seen the draft cards we put up on our Facebook page and Twitter, go check those out. It's just what we're saying here in a long-term form, in a long format is put there in concise little nuggets for you. But he's going to be an immediate contributor. Like he's a guy that's going to come out and have six sacks as a rookie. I'm telling you, six to eight sacks as a rookie. Like pencil it in. Yeah. Pencil it in. I'm telling yep. you, like, yes, Falcons fans we have somebody that's actually going to get to the quarterback and long-term he'll replace lorenzo carter outside linebacker that's what's going to happen like this guy is going to be a starter for us within two years and he's going to be good will he be pro bowl good i don't know but he's going to be a better than replacement level starter and he's going to get sacks hallelujah amen (laughs) now did they know it's a new regime has anybody told them that it's illegal to draft pass rushers as the Falcons you mean the ones that are actually good <laughs> yeah because <laughs> that's, that's not a lot so much different we talked about this in the Trayvon Walker podcast but Vic Beasley as a college prospect I never liked never liked because I said this guy only wins at speed that's not what Ebiketti is he's a guy that's actually a pass rush guy he he wins inside he wins outside he wins with handwork he wins with speed he's got more than one way to win and it's consistent and it's shown up over a long period of time now, our third pick, which was – oh, one other thing about the advocate pick we have to say. You and I both said don't love trading up to get him because this eventually this, this yeah. was initially the, the number 43 pick. We traded away pick number 114 to move up five spots to get him. And, eventually, and initially, you and I were like, he's a good player. We like the player, but I hate trading up to get him. He probably would have been there at 43. He would not have been there at 43 because, <laughs> like – was it two or three picks later? Boye Mafe goes. And it's like, okay, yeah, this guy might not have really been there at forty three. So, I still don't love giving up a draft pick to address that need, but I'm okay with it. Seeing how it fell and realizing that we may have missed out on him if we had wait if we had waited. And this is the general complaint that I and a lot of people have. Right, is when you are drafting for need, whether that's because that's your philosophy or because you're stuck with too many needs. That's what happens, right? Yeah. You have to trade up for somebody like that Mm -hmm. where there might have been somebody that was just as good of a prospect at a different position that would have fallen to you, and you could have gotten that other prospect and then whatever fourth-round pick because there's still good guys in the fourth round, right? So, like, you could have – well, we'll go through all the possible people. But anyway, so, yeah, the value, not super great. The player, the fit – for the team and addressing the needs are actually really yeah. good. And that's sort of the theme that you'll see as we go through this draft, right? First pick value, maybe not great player, actually good and addresses a need and fits the, the profile they want. Same for this pick. And then same for the, kind of the same for, the next for this pick. next pick. And right. Did we not say this exact same thing last year? It's like, I felt we got, we addressed all the needs but it wasn't the players we thought, and it wasn't in the way we thought. I feel like we said the exact same thing last year. Um, third round, pick number 58, Troy Anderson was a selection out of Montana State. Now, Troy Anderson was one of my draft crushes. I think I mentioned that on one of our pre-draft shows. Love him as a prospect. I think there was two linebackers probably better than him that I might have taken above him. Taking the Kobe Dean out of the equation, I would have taken Chad Muma over him. Um, Chad Muma converted safety, ran, I think, in the four sixes. A lot better instinct, a lot more polished. Christian Harris from Alabama was on the board. And instead, they pick 
probably the single biggest physical freak in this entire draft. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. And, and I think I take him over Christian. Actually, Harris. I, in my mo- in mocks, I did take him over Christian Harris in the lunch, the mocks. Yeah. But, I mean, they're, they're kind of the same thing in that they're both raw really athletes. freaky athletic raw athletes. Yeah. But in that case, give me the raw athlete that was a running back in college and then a quarterback in college and then a linebacker in college instead of the guy that was like a highly rated linebacker prospect and had three or four years at Alabama at linebacker. If that guy's still raw, he just might not have the instincts. Just so you know, we're talking about here. This guy was the fastest linebacker in the draft. Yes. Faster than all the guys from Georgia, including Channing Tingle ran a four, four, two. So if you're not familiar with Kenley Platt's relative athleticism scores, you need to know his relative athleticism score on a scale of zero to 10 was a perfect 10.0. That's the first prospect I've ever seen that has that score since I've been looking at drafts last few years. So it's not the first guy. It does happen occasionally. Yeah. It's the first one um, I've seen. You have some stuff like Calvin Johnson was a 10. Yeah. Um, actually, if you look, they have, they'll show you some comps on that website too. If you look at some of the RAS comps, which is mostly just kind of, you know, fitting their measurables, mm-hmm. right? You have guys like Von Miller, who obviously is outstanding you know, player, but also a physical freak. Uh, Bruce Irvin, mm-hmm. Luke Keekley, oh, Isaiah Simmons, okay. and Lorenzo Carter, who, by the way, Lorenzo Carter, 10.0. No, was he really in the, in the yep. RAS? He, yep. He is a freak athlete. He has converted that into being an okay football yeah. player. And comps for Troy Anderson are hard. We're not going to take his melanin into account when we make these these comps. So, <laughs> so the ones I came up with, and I'm not saying ceiling wise, but just big bodied athlete, Brian Urlacher. Yeah. Alec Ogletree, just a freak athlete. Better. Ogletree was a much better athlete than he was a football player, which I said for a long time, but guys that are just freak athletes and the Falcons with this pick are betting on traits. They're betting on traits. Now it's not all traits. This dude had 147 tackles this past year. That's a heck of a lot of production. 14 TFLs, two sacks, two interceptions. And I think he's immediately going to be a special teams player in a sub package. He'd be a heck of a nickel linebacker. One of my other comps for him, and this is before the draft, this is before I did more research, but I initially watched this film and I said, that looks like Foya Luacon. Not knowing the Falcons might take him, but Foya Luacon was a freak show athlete coming out of, was it Yale? Played all over the field. You didn't really know a whole lot about him. And he gets to the NFL, takes about three years to turn into a really plus starter. That's the thing with here with um, Anderson. He's not going to be great as a rookie. He'll have some flashes mm-hmm. by year three. He might be late in Vanderish. Like seriously. Yeah. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, when you're going to take a chance on somebody based on traits, you need to have a good understanding and a reason why those traits haven't resulted in a polished football player. Right. A lot of times that's because guys came to football late, relatively late in life compared to other people, or it's because they changed positions, things like that. His is the, the yeah. latter, right? Changing positions. Yeah. And so in that case, it's like, hey, he's played linebacker two for years. two years. <laughs> and Before that, good. he was on offense. Yeah. So in that case, it's like, hey, he's raw. He's been a linebacker for two, two years. years. It's okay. You know, sometimes you say, oh, this guy's raw. And, you know, he played at Ohio State for five years. It's like, hey, guys, if he's raw, he just may 
just be an athlete and not a football player. That just might be what it is. Um, but so yeah, with Anderson, there's reason to think that the, the traits could play out and he's not, this is not the first time you've had an athletic quarterback. That's not actually that good at quarterback change to a different position. Usually when they go offense, defense, they go to safety. He just is a little bit bigger. So he's at linebacker. Chesterot did it in North Carolina last year. Yeah. And, and a lot of times those guys end up being really, really good, good mm-hmm. defensive players, right? Like they were at quarterback in high school because they were good athletes, but being a quarterback forces you to learn a lot about football. And then that knowledge translates over to the defensive side as well. So yeah, it, it hurt a little bit because Nicobe was on the board yes. and nobody knew why and what was going on. So in that sense, it really hurt because you're like, this could have been Nicobe Dean, a first round pick in the third round. Um, but if you peel that part away and just look at everything else about it, it's a pretty exciting pick. I, truthfully, I said, and I said this, taking Nicobe Dean off the table, I would have taken probably Chad Muma here, but and and Muma is a really good yeah. linebacker too. And in that case, for me, him versus Chad Muma, it's it's whatever. Either one's fine, yeah, right? Yeah. It's one's got a little more polish. One's got a lot more upside. And Muma does have upside. But like Troy Anderson's the kind of guy that in three years could be an All Pro linebacker. He really could. He could also just be an average starter. Those are like that's a that's a likely outcome. And just to give you a few little more information on, I didn't finish his profile. Six three and a half, two forty three. So, like, the guy's a freak show. Like, you're going to notice him in the preseason. You're going to be like, oh, who's that? You're also going to notice him in the preseason and be like, oh, wait a minute. He's still standing there about a second half after the ball snap because he doesn't know which direction the ball went. And then he's going to run the play down <laughs> and make a tackle at six yards. You're going to be like, wow, imagine once that guy learns how to read. <laughs> so that's what you saw yeah, in this to like It's going to look like big Channing Tendall. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good that, – that, <laughs> that's a very good – that's a very good uh, description of his abilities. So – all in all, again, it's the same story with Troy Anderson. Question the value, like the player. I, I'm, I, I can't help him, man. I wish this was Nicobe Dean. Do we disagree on that? Like, I wish this was Nicobe Dean. Oh yeah, I still wish it was Nicobe Dean. Yeah, I mean, and that has nothing to do with me being a UGA homer. Like, Nicobe Dean was the Buckus Award winner, and he's sitting here at 58. Like, I, want, <laughs> I, I just have a hard time not taking him. So, but again. The entire NFL passed on him, so it wasn't just us. Moving on, pick number 74, Desmond Ritter. There's a lot of smoke around this pick, and the question wasn't really whether the Falcons would take Desmond Ritter, but, like, when they would take him. Like, this is one you saw Malik to Atlanta a lot. Yeah. Not in the first round, but when you saw that his most common draft comp was Ryan Tannehill, which I actually think is a pretty good comp, it didn't take a whole lot to be able to put this one together. Yeah, I, I was on record saying that I thought we would pick Drake London at eight because I thought all the seven guys we actually mm-hmm. wanted would be gone and that yeah, Drake London right. fit a need and the profile. And then I also thought we would take Desmond Ritter. I thought, and this was maybe just being pessimistic. I thought we would take him like early second or even trade up yeah, into you the thought first we'd take round. Him like 43. Yeah. I thought we'd take him 43 or if there was a late run on quarterbacks in the twenties that we would trade up to like 31 or 32 to get a quarterback, that kind of thing. I'm glad we didn't do that. The value, this, the previous three picks, we like the player, question the value. This pick, the value is really good. If you get a quarterback that even turns into a starter in the third round, that's good value. Oh my gosh, um, yes. But I do, 
I don't question the fit. I think he seems like the kind of quarterback they want. I just don't love his accuracy, and I just don't see him being like if he's an above average starter, which at that point you're talking like 10 to 12 best quarterback in the league in a given season. I don't know. I have a hard time seeing it. Tannehill kind of got there for a year or two. And so maybe that's what Ritter is out of 12 years. He'll be the 13th best guy one or two times. I would have rather had Malik Willis or Sam Howell. Yes. Because I think Malik Willis and Sam Howell both have a lot more upside there. Um, I don't know. I, I really would have preferred just ignoring quarterback and counting on being bad and picking a quarterback up high next year. That's what I would have liked to do, but I also would have started the rebuild uh, at least a year ago. And here we are. Yeah, and and Ritter is six foot three, two eleven, out of Cincinnati, ran a four five two forty. Which I just keep looking at that. Like, I don't think people realize how fast that is for a quarterback. Even quarterbacks that run well don't run four or fives at the NFL Combine. They just don't. So that is ridiculously good speed. Um, Stats from the 2021 season, which was a historic season for Cincinnati, 30 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 3,334 yards, 8.2 yards per attempt, 65% completion rating, 158.7 QBR, a quarterback rating, 90.7 PFF grade, and he had a 355 rushing yards and six touchdowns, which was down from the year before because he didn't run as much. He will be our backup quarterback in year one, and – he projects as a future starter, you know, unless something happens. And if Marcus Mariota gets hurt, it's going to be the Desmond Ritter show. And one of the things that came up in a lot of the pre-draft process was that people said that the dude was super smart and a fast processor. And even when I would listen to shows like the draft dudes on TDN, or when we listen to the pro football focus podcast, they said he makes the reads, the ball goes to the right place. And as I wrote down here in our scouting report, you just wish he was more accurate and more consistent. Like he just misses. I mean, the ball's going to the right place. He just misses and you wish he would miss less. And he misses some throws he should be able to make. But plus leader, plus arm, exceptional leader, winner. Basically all the intangibles are there. He's just got to get more accurate and it can be done with good coaching. I mean, if there's ever been someone that's changed my mind on the idea that quarterbacks can't get more accurate, it is Josh Allen. <laughs> yeah, Josh Allen is proof that it can happen. I think, but that's the one out of a million. Yeah, I think a lot of people have seen that and said, "Aha, it can happen," and then drafted a bunch <laughs> of inaccurate quarterbacks. And like, uh, <laughs> can doesn't mean that it's likely to yeah. happen. It's rare. So. Yeah, Josh Allen, and, and very few of the guys that you would want to try that with have Josh Allen's freakish athletic ability. Oh, but there is one in this draft. That was close. His name was Malik Willis, but we didn't take him. So mm-hmm. I'm with you, Scott. I wish this pick was Malik Willis. Uh, this That's the one I wanted. I mean, yeah, oh. those tools and, are so juicy. And if it wasn't Malik Willis, I would have wanted to be Sam Howell Sam. because he's yeah. the – Was Corral still on the board here? No, he was gone. No, Corral was, was still on the board. I would have said either Corral or – or um, Willis, yeah. I would have said. I would have said Howell or Willis, not as much Corral. I, Corral playing at Ole Miss is always a little debatable, like how much that can be duplicated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sam Howell is the guy that 
sort of like Loki gives off Russell Wilson vibes where it's like, Hey, was this actually a really good quarterback? Just kind of stuck on a bad team. And I think, I don't think he's necessarily going to be Russell Wilson. I don't know if any of these quarterbacks in this entire draft are going to like ever make a pro. Like if every, if there was no pro bowl quarterback appearances ever from this draft, nobody's surprised. So because that's the case though, I would draft for guys with more upside. Like, Malik Willis is a freak. I think Sam Howell is probably the next best guy just as far as total talent. And then Ritter, maybe third. But anyway, they they got the guy they wanted. They don't care what we think. No, and I actually do like Sam Howell. He's like a weird rich between like Russell Wilson and like Baker Mayfield. Like that's who his games remind you of. Yeah. Like it's weird, which is weird. Don't know which one of those his career would go more towards. Yeah. (laughs) But like, he became a really ridiculously good runner this year, like ridiculously good runner, like out of nowhere, like running over people and having big, big games. And well, again, we didn't pick that guy. This is a pick that I, this is one of the few picks that I actually, the only pick in the draft that I had not scouted. So I feel pretty good about myself as an amateur scout here. Cause we're, we texted back and forth as, okay, who, who is D'Angelo Malone? Because he's somebody that I had not watched and had not scouted. D'Angelo Malone, edge player. Five-year starter at Western Kentucky. You don't hear that very often. <laughs> a five-year starter took his COVID year and came back for another year. What's interesting, though, his best season in college in 2019, listen to these numbers, 99 tackles, 11 sacks, and 20 and a half TF- TFLs. I'm like, why didn't you come out then? <laughs> Guys that do that usually come out in the draft. Um, he's six foot three, 243 pounds. He's got good size, um, little light. Four five eight forty, and his athleticism does show up on film. He looks explosive off the ball. One of the things that I noticed on watching him is I watched a good bit of him today. And again, when you're doing this, you don't watch highlights; you watch entire games. So I watched entire games of Western Kentucky's defense. I watched their bowl game, and he is super assignment sound. He does not break off his assignment to chase the ball. If he's got the quarterback on zone read, he takes the quarterback. He does not chase the stretch. Um, when he's supposed to squeeze and wrong arm, he takes his surf steps down and he hits the guard on the inside shoulder. He is very assignment sound. He's got the versatility to play off the ball. They would drop him actually into coverage. I don't mean from like a wide nine. I mean, they would have him as an off-ball linebacker and drop into the hook curl zone, which is something I don't think he'd be great at, but he can do. And again, he had four years of high-level production. So he's played as a true freshman, and he had four years of really high production including last year, 2021, where we had 94 tackles, nine sacks, and 17 and a half tackles for loss. So this guy had four years where he produced at a high level, which is a great indicator that this guy's going to actually be a good NFL football player. He's undersized. He's going to lose some fistfights in the run game. But this is a guy that I think will be a situational pass rusher in, in sub-packages as a rookie and could develop into like a really good rotational player. I don't know if he'll ever be a full-time starter, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. And. You know, if you've listened to us talk about, you know, three, four outside linebackers that are kind of undersized and and setting the edge against the run over the last number of years, you've heard us talk a lot about Nolan Smith doing that, Mm -hmm. Aziz Ojolari doing that, Mm -hmm. and how much those guys are undersized on paper, but play so much bigger and so much more physical than that by just, I don't know, being really, really mean when it comes to setting the edge, basically. Like, it's a lot of just, are you willing to stick your nose, stick your shoulder in there and do it, right? And 
one of the things that I saw, you mentioned it with Malone, is you saw him kind of be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. But he just didn't have the physical oomph behind him that those other yeah. guys we mentioned did. He gets thrown out of the bar sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So um, credit to him for being willing to do it because guys with his profile of being pass rush edge guys, you know, wanting to get for the quarterback aren't always willing to do it. But when he did it, it wasn't always so pretty, not in the same way that we have praised guys like Nolan Smith and Aziz Ojolari for doing it and getting results. So if things go wrong for him as an NFL player, it will be that. And it would be that kind of stuff that keeps him from playing an every down role Mm -hmm. and would limit him to a designated pass rush kind of guy. Yeah. And, you're going to see D'Angelo Malone. You're going to see Arnold Epichetti on the field on some third downs bringing gas. And when's the last time that we had two, four, five guys out there bringing gas? Oh, and we also have Lorenzo Carter. Like, this is not going to be a great defense, but the pass rush will be better this year, which, I mean, how could it not? But <laughs> wait a minute, didn't we say that last year? How could it not be better? And it wasn't. But for reals, it will be better this year. Like, it'll be better this year. And, and if this nothing can- else, there will be positive things to say, aha, this person could be a decent pass rusher for multiple years in the future. Yeah. So before we run too long here, fifth round, pick number 151, because we traded away 114. Uh, Running back was the logical pick here. And I think I took a running back at either 114 or 151 in almost every mock that I did. Mm -hmm. However, the running backs that I took there were a better version of this guy. Because knowing the Falcons needed a power back, we already have our pass catching back in Cordell Patterson and Damon Williams. You had Mike Davis, who's supposed to be power back, really isn't. So it made sense to take a downhill power back. I think in almost every mock I took a fifth round back or fourth round back, it was Brian Robinson, Hassan Haskins. And this is where we mentioned earlier trading up for the mm-hmm. pass rusher in the second round costs you pick 114. Well, and you could have gotten one of those between guys. 114 and 151. You had Zemir White and Hassan Haskins both come off the board, along with uh, Pierre Strong and Isaiah Spiller, but I don't think they were quite as good of fits. But, yeah, you could have gotten Zemir White or Hassan Haskins um, at 114. We didn't. But given who was on the board, Algiers really the the best fit. Yeah, I mean, I think – Maybe Jerome Ford and Ty Chandler were guys that maybe I like a little bit better overall, but that's because they give you a little more home run juice, Mm -hmm. and that's not what they were looking for. They were looking for a big physical bruiser, and he definitely is that. He is not a speed guy, but he is pushing 5'11 and like 225, and he is thick. He breaks a lot of tackles, falls forward. Super productive at BYU. So going along with that, Scott, 1,100 yards as a junior, 1,600 as a senior. Like, he was really good and averaged over seven yards a carry as a junior. Now, this is the stat that will convince you, okay, this is not a terrible pick. 1,143 yards this year after contact. Yeah, yeah. That's absurd. He's second in all of college football. He's a good player. He also has – one of the better forced fumbles in recent memory. Yes. Go look up Arizona State forced fumble, Tyler Algier, where he chases the guy down and then like crow hops and punches the ball out of the guy's outside arm back into the field of play. Right. So if anybody's ever seen the movie Troy, there's a famous fight where Brad Pitt jumps up 
and then stabs down with the spear. <laughs> this is what Tyler Algier did to the guy he was chasing is he That's jumped up comparison. and just stabbed straight down from behind and smacked that ball out. It was very impressive and just <laughs> very violent looking. And his quarterback recovered it and they got the ball back. He, y'all, the biggest thing about him is he is a red zone demon. 23 touchdowns in 2021, which was the most in FBS. So he does all the stuff you want from a good back. He's good in short yardage. He breaks tackles and he's good in the red zone. So, I mean, th- that's what you want from a big back. Um, he's not sexy. He really doesn't do anything poorly. He caught 28 passes for 199 yards. He's really a check down back. He ain't running away from anybody, but he does catch the ball. And they're really the only concerns for him are speed and athleticism, but he's a four, six guy at two twenty five, So he's not slow. He's just an average athlete. And he's all around just like the most replacement level running back you can think of, which is okay, which is okay. Because in this offense where he has got very, very good vision for inside zone, he's going to be a guy that averages like 4.2 yards per carry. He's going to get that every time though. And that's something that is a welcome addition to this offense. Moving on to pick number one ninety. This was another one that was a little bit controversial. The Falcons at pick number 190 in the sixth round took a guard from Georgia, but it wasn't the one that we all expected them to take. It was Justin Schaefer. We all wanted them to take Jamari Sawyer. <laughs> so, what? Wait, wait, Jamari Sawyer? No, wait, Schaefer? Did they, did they have the wrong? No, it's Justin Schaefer. Six foot four, 314 pounds, 33 inch reach. Watching Justin Schaefer. And I know you people watch UJ football, but if you didn't actually watch our offensive line, Justin Schaefer is a guy that is best described as a mauler. It's what he is. Like he beats people up. He's the guy throwing people like Dan's Limelone out of the bar. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's what he does. He um timed pretty well for his size. I think he ran like a 5-1 at 314 pounds, which is decent. Uh his testing numbers, agility-wise, were not very good, but on film, he plays better than his testing numbers. He looks like a pretty solid athlete when he plays. And he is one of those guys that plays through the echo of the echo of the whistle. He, he's like a borderline personal foul guy. He never gets him, but he's like the guy that's like jumping on the pile in the national championship game. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. uh, but some of the limitations, and I saw some of this, some of this is stuff I read, but just very average length at six foot three, six or four, that's a good size, but 33 inch arms is pretty average length. Um, he can get lost blocking in space. You see him on screen plays and sometimes even in his pulls, if he's got a lot of space, he can kind of have difficulty navigating to the, the, the immediate threat to block. I saw that some, and he loses people in stunts. If you give him delayed blitzes, green dogs or advanced stunts where the guy's coming from a long sticker really far away, he can sometimes struggle to identify where the pressure's coming from. Now, if he sees them, he's hitting them, but that was one of the things that I saw on film. And again, I'm not an extensive O-line guy. That's not my thing. Last thing, Scott, and I'll let you jump in here. 71.1 overall grade and 66.8 run block grade, 55.2 pass block grade. But this is the kicker, 87.5 grade in zone scheme plays. He is a guy that can double and climb, and that's why he's on this team. That's what he's on this team for. Yeah, and he's a guy that, especially in the run game, if he gets his hands on you, he's a big, physical, mean dude, and it yeah. just might be over. The yeah. problem is the frequency with which he does not get his hands on somebody, right? And that was something we saw this past year at the college level, right? Just 
getting out over his skis, right? Getting too far forward and lunging and having somebody just give him the ole and go right around him. And then, like you mentioned, some of the general pass blocking concerns. Um, yeah, that, I mean, it's a sixth round pick on an interior offensive lineman. So the risk of this pick is pretty low because it's not a, a high leverage pick, right? But it definitely concerns me that even if he ends up being a really good run blocker, if he's a liability as a pass blocker, then you kind of have nothing. And that's my concern. You know, like offensive line, right? You could have an offensive line that's full of five average players, or you could have an offensive line that's overall average and full of like some good or great players and some terrible players. Well, if that's the case, give me the five average guys all day long. Because if there's somebody that's terrible, the other team is just going to annihilate them and ruin every single play. So the Mayfield. Yeah. And that's the concern with Schaefer as a pass blocker is, is he going to be that guy who is the target as a pass blocker? Because if he is, it doesn't mean a whole lot that he's a good run blocker. Now, like you said, he moves pretty well. He is actually a pretty good athlete for a big guard. Yeah. So it's not impossible that he can improve there. Um, but definitely a concern. And that concern is highlighted because five picks later is when Jamari Sawyer, the other guard from Georgia who was playing tackle because somebody had to play tackle and they needed help there. And he's a very good pass blocker. Right. And he's a much better pass blocker. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, That's is. why he's the one that was playing tackle. And, right. and most people, myself included, would just consider him a better offensive lineman and, and prospect overall. So, yeah. That's the concern, but you know, like you highlighted, it's the good run blocking and how well he did in the zone scheme, right? And I think, I think you mentioned it offline, but when you look at some of the numbers for Jamari Sawyer in his own scheme, they're not that great. I yeah. personally, I think that's because he's playing out of position out and of he position. doesn't move well enough to be a tackle in his own scheme yeah. to ask, ask the tackle to move that much. Like he could play out of position one spot, but he can't play out of position and out of scheme at the same time. But you're asking him to reach block Willie Anderson and and dudes like that. And Brenton Cox, like, and he's a guard and like, well, one of those guys, well, yeah, (laughs) if he doesn't get to the, the one of those guys rushing the passer, he's probably already, he's probably already (laughs) like three yards past the quarterback. Um, But I think his zone screen, his zone scheme grade was in the low seventies for Jamar Sawyer. The other thing we mentioned offline was relative athleticism grade was in the sevens for Justin Schaefer Sawyer was in the fours which is really bad as a tackle and then he was in the mid fives as his relative athleticism grade projecting as a guard partly because as you pointed out Scott he did not run the four-year do the agility drills so when you consider the fact that Schaefer graded higher and the things the Falcons are specifically looking at and he projects as a better athlete this pick is defensible, even though you and I both agree it's not the pick we would have made. I also think the part that's a little tough about it, too, is four picks after Sawyer went, you had Cade Mays go. And Cade yeah, Mays is also, you know, if you wanted a guard that is a better athlete than Schaefer, Cade Mays is a little bit better of an athlete all around there, too. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, if I had my choice between those three tackles i probably go or guards i probably would say sawyer then Mays, then schaefer but oh well it is what it is i guess hopefully 
Hopefully Schaefer's good. Hopefully Sawyer is good. Hopefully Cade Mays is really bad. And you remember like in our mock draft, we took a tight end at 213. It was Jaden Weidermeyer. Yeah, he went undrafted. He did not get drafted. Instead, the Falcons took a true blocking tight end, which is what we were trying to do with this pick. John Fitzpatrick BJ, him and his six career catches, or sorry, him and his six catches this year and his 83 yards and his one career touchdown. Um, 6'7, 250, ran a 482. That's actually pretty good wheels for a guy that size. Um, yeah. He will be tight end number three and he will block and he will not get the ball thrown to him unless it's on the goal line. And he will probably make the team as a blocking tight end. I mean, I, I think he will actually make the team as a blocking tight end. Lee Smith retired. That role needs to be filled. And he did a lot of that at Georgia. He's used to blocking, watching other people catch the ball, and he's pretty good at it. He was such a low prospect. He was not graded by PFF this past year, and he did not get an invite to the NFL Combine. So I had no grade data on him, and I had to search to find his measurables in the pro day. So there, there were actually a lot of people. Right there. there were actually a lot of people that thought he would get drafted in the seventh round, yeah. just because what he brings from a blocking standpoint. Yeah. And it's like you said, right? He profiles as a second or third tight end because you want your primary tight end to give you a lot more on the receiving end, which we've got that covered with Pitts. Um, I'm with you. I think he's probably the third tight end mm-hmm. on the team this year. I think moving forward is a pretty decent chance that he's actually your second tight end later on in his rookie contract. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's really not a terrible receiver. I don't think Mm-mm, he's not, uh, you know, they didn't throw the ball to him because you had other tight ends that were better to throw. Darnell the ball Washington, to. Brock Bowers. Yeah. One. That Brock Bowers guy. <laughs> No, I, I was in Napa this weekend paying my respects. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think at the NFL level, I don't know. Him, maybe he'll never have 100 yards in a season and he'll only just block. But it, <laughs> but it wouldn't surprise me if he's actually a guy that kind of quietly turns into a three or 400 yards receiving a year guy while being an outstanding blocker. Catches 26 balls, 300 yards, and gets a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, while being a really, really – good blocker good right block. which is that's what he's being drafted for and mm-hmm. in the seventh round that's what you're looking for somebody that has an elite skill and can make your team and help you be a better team because and the complete players aren't there aren't there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and scott it's funny this is one of those drafts where if you went and put every single like need the falcons had they picked at least one player for every single position of need oh yeah and then doubled up at edge it was like the weirdest thing. It's like literally everything that you would see on your PFF, ESPN, TDN, draft boarders needs, they checked every single one. Didn't do it with the players that we thought, but what you're seeing here is that they are drafting BPA as best fit for their scheme, which means there are going to be some ones that we don't agree with, but we have to wait and see how it plays out. And I'm going to be honest with this draft, some of the people that, Terry Fontenot passed on. If these don't hit, this dude will be unemployed in 2023. Because with some of the risks that you took, if these don't hit, like the dude ain't gonna be a ain't gonna be employed. Like I just I'll maybe give him the 2024, but like some of these risky picks, Troy Anderson had better look like something in two years, or people are gonna flame you for passing on, you know, Nicobe Dean. You know, like some of these have to hit. So 
That's that. Yeah. And and where did Muma end up again? Oh, I Jacksonville. Don't even he, okay. That's yeah. A good I, oh, I was just trying to see if there's any of those guys in the division too, because that's the stuff that really gets you killed, uh, right? Is if you take somebody, yeah, 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 like Anderson, who's a very legitimate pick and a really good prospect, but let's say you know a linebacker goes right after him in the division that is better. That that's when people really notice and get mad because you play him a couple yeah. times a year. Yeah. All in all, Scott, I, we're not going to grade this. I, I hate doing the grades, but just how did you feel about this draft? Like uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Closer to thumbs in the middle. Um, when you know, once it was all said and done, I could you know look at the first five picks, which are all in the first three rounds. So that's kind of your higher picks, right? And yeah, it was all drafting really for need. And then they were picking the best player that was a good fit within that need. I'm not a fan of drafting for need. That's not really a good way to do it long-term. Nobody in the NFL likes to think long-term. They think one year ahead of time, and that's it, except for the Patriots. And that's why the Patriots have a huge advantage on everybody else for the last two decades. Even though I think their first three picks sucked. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but over <laughs> over decades, right? Yeah, yeah, forward. yeah. Um, now – because the Falcons had so many needs and because a lot of those needs were at important positions, it means we accidentally picked high value positions with a lot of our early draft round draft yeah. picks. Yeah. So in the first three rounds, we picked a receiver, two edge guys and a quarterback. That's actually how you want to break it down. You know, maybe an offensive tackle, right? Yeah. But maybe a cornerback, if the one falls, if it lands just right, but in general, they were at least picking high-value premium positions with four of the first five picks. And then your other pick is Troy Anderson, who is a really high-ceiling kind of guy, and, and hopefully it works out. Um, and then with your fifth and sixth-round picks, you're taking your tough, hard-nosed, physical guys that bring an elite skill and can make a team. And that's Algier, the running back. Schaefer is a guard and Fitzpatrick as a tight end. So when you actually kind of, when I step back and look at a big picture, there's a lot of things that they did pretty well at the draft. But like we've gone through and zoomed in on a lot of these pictures, or a lot of these picks, you know, round two, picking uh, Ebikidi, it's like, okay, you trade it up, is the value right? Troy Anderson, Mm -hmm. did we pick the right linebacker? Mm-hmm. Ritter, did we pick the right quarterback? That kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Still TBD. And most of the time, the answer is no, right? Usually with any given pick, you didn't pick the best player at that position. But hopefully it works out. Once it's all said and done and you can see the full picture of the draft, I feel better than how I felt as the draft was unfolding. Yeah, and that's the truth. And I'm kind of like a thumb slightly up. When this draft... At first, when we this draft concluded, I was probably thumb straight sideways, slightly down. Right. And I go back and look at do a little more research, find out a little bit more about the players. And I didn't, I was familiar with these players. I had scouted them, but okay. Schaefer graded better than I thought. Okay. Um, Tyler Algier was a little bit more productive than I thought. Like, and you go back and it's like, okay, I these picks are all defensible. Yeah. But again, defensible and productive on the field in the NFL are two different things. So Overall, I give this draft a slight thumbs up, um, but I'll just be honest, if it doesn't work, 
this draft is going to be the one that people point back to and said, you had five in the top 100. You had to name And them. also, there's a receiver at eight and a lot of receivers that went right after, right? Mm-hmm. So if any of those receivers are amazing, people are going to uh-huh. say, oh, look, you know, Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson were amazing a couple picks later. And nobody's going to pay attention to the fact that, you know, those guys might be like 5'11", and that that doesn't work for the offense that Arthur Smith is running. Um, Plenty of actual complaints that I have about the draft, but there's also some that can be kind of silly. (laughs) All right. Well, we are long, but is it ever not long when we get on this stuff? (laughs) But uh, that's everything you UGA and Falcons fans need to know about the 2022 draft. This has been David Thay and Scott the Assassin. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.